This hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast for creators of any variety. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks for being here. Very much appreciated. And I'm very much looking forward to sharing this episode with you. If this is your first time listening, thanks very much. You can catch old episodes of the podcast. They are all on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can read up on them on thereitispod.com. We also have blogs on thereitispod.com. And um, today's guest is Julia Clare. She is a stand-up comedian in New York City. Very funny. And uh, it's making a lot of noise. I think she's someone to watch. She, she's got a lot going on for her. And I uh, hope, if you haven't heard of her, that you check out her work. And uh, this gives you a chance to really uh, get to know someone new and great in the stand-up world. We talk a lot about that. We talk about a few other things. It's a fun chat. So let's get right to it. Here's my chat with Julia Clare. You're from Boston. Yes. Originally. That's Did, true. You lived, your, you lived in Boston your whole life? I lived in Massachusetts for almost all of my life. Um, so I grew up in um, Medfield, Massachusetts, which is like 40 minutes outside of Boston. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and then I went to school in Baltimore, and then I okay. came back. I moved back home after college and then when I moved to Boston, I started doing stand-up after college. Very cool. Yeah. A lot of times when I talk to someone from Boston, they'll say like, yeah, uh, Brookline or whatever, and it's always like right outside of Boston. It's like yeah. something that's like 40 minutes away. What is not close to Boston that's in Massachusetts <laughs> that people have heard about? Well, actually, I was I lived in Brookline when I was little mm-hmm. um, before we moved to Medfield, uh, and my dad is from there. And Conan's from there. Conan is from there. Uh, yeah, Conan and my dad are both Brookline <laughs> High School graduates. And, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the center of the universe in Massachusetts is Boston, definitely. <laughs> but there is, you know, there's a lot outside. I think, like, Western Mass is so beautiful. And, like, yeah. the Cape is, I mean, the Cape is technically so close to get to from Boston. It's, like, two hours to the bridge, oh, if nice. that. Um, maybe like an hour and a half, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, everyone says they're from just outside of Boston because that's where we all are. <laughs> that's where like most people live in the state. <laughs> no, it's, I've never been, I'd like to check some oh, places out. It's great. A good friend of mine is from there and she's always going back and also raving about Boston. So. You know, people shit on it so much, and it deserves a lot of it, but it's also a very good place to live. <laughs> I miss it a lot. I lived, I didn't, I actually lived in Cambridge when I lived, when I lived there, and I miss it so much all the time. It was just like, what a great place. It's not super far from here to, to get there, right? Like it's how- four hours it's oh, like a little okay. four hours my friend there. goes so much that you would assume that it's like yeah, right it's around quick. the corner yeah <laughs> as I mean, often as she goes i go i go back a decent amount and it's but yeah on the bus it's like four hours and 15 minutes that's not so bad it's not, not so bad it's pretty good yeah um when did you move to new york how long ago was that i moved to new york Two years ago today. Wow. <laughs> exactly today. <laughs> but you've been doing comedy, you said, before that. Yes. How long have you been doing comedy now? I just hit four years. Wow. So I awesome. Did four years. I did two years in Boston and two years, exactly two years here in New York. And you've done a ton in that time. I mean, Boston and New York, yeah. that's, those are good. Obviously, New York is a great place yeah. for comedy, but Boston's a really great hub for comedy as well. It is. And I'm... I think about this a lot, and I am so glad that I started there because um, 
you know, I, I just see how hard it is to start here. And mm-hmm. I think if I had started here, I might have quit. I, oh, it's, wow, yeah. it's a just specific thing. The people who start here are and keep at it and really succeed are super sharp, made of steel. Um, <laughs> yeah, they are. But Boston is a really great place to start um, mm-hmm. just because it, you know, has like a long tradition of mm-hmm. stand up. And I think it's, you know, I think as a scene, it like prioritizes the right things. It's yeah, like that's good. The writing is, I have so many friends who are still there who are like incredible writers mm-hmm. um, and just like are such fantastic performers too. And it's a great, it's like a, it's a kooky place. I don't know. I just, I love it. But the, yeah. And then also it, you know, there are, especially in the last five years or so, just so many awesome alt spaces and Mm. shows that have popped up but the tradition in boston is definitely like the clubby stand-up that you know that definitely exists but it's not a that's not not the only place that people can go it's not and i and i certainly you know i wasn't extremely enmeshed in the the clubby part of of boston stand-up um but i mean it's all good it's just like yeah, I miss it a lot. The it's you know I, I I go to Chicago a fair amount as well, and I mm-hmm. think that in terms of quality of the scenes, like Chicago's much bigger city, much bigger scene, but I think in terms of uh, the quality, it's it's totally comparable. It's just yeah, like Chicago's a lot more experimental than Boston mm-hmm. is. Like you can be a lot more kind of like weird and creative in a way that. <laughs> Our puritanical sensibilities in Boston are just start flashing, but um, yeah, it was just such a such a great place to start, and I'm I'm so so thrilled I'm, I'm so thrilled that I can keep going back there. Um, yeah, great. I mean, you mentioned something in there about um, prioritizing the right things, and yeah. there are a ton of scenes that just crop up across the country that mm-hmm. are sort of do it yourself. There isn't a club there in some some of those places. But someone just said, well, I can go to this bar and just start an open mic. Yeah. And that's all great. And people should totally do that. But you really can't, if you want to start touring or anything, yeah. like actually make it, make it a profession, you really can't shirk the responsibility of being around really strong people mm-hmm. and some of those other things that you were talking about that are, you know, prioritizing the right things. Like, what, what are some of the other things you're saying? I'm assuming you mean... Uh, uh, really getting a true stage presence, really yeah. finding your voice, really getting good at writing material. That's yeah, that's exactly it. Um, and I think you know one of my uh, one of my first friends in the scene is a comic named Andrew Mayer, and mm-hmm. he's you know he was a few years older than me, and he had just been doing it. You know, he'd been doing stand up since he was in college, mm-hmm. and he, you know, I just learned so much from him just by by watching Mm -hmm. and sometimes he would be at open mics and I'd be like freaking out because I was three months in being like I'm horrible and because I was and three months in yeah yeah. and he was just like okay no one is gonna kick you out of comedy if you don't do well at this open mic yeah and I always remember that now and I think it's true of even like shows like you know if you have a mediocre set you know, not even bombing, but I, I like, I think of mediocre set. I, when I have a mediocre set, I think about it for a month and, uh, <laughs> like a really tepid, just like milk toast, like they were on the fence about me set. <laughs> I'm just like, wow, I want to email each and every one of those people in the audience. But yeah, there was just like, so, and, you know, there's a lot of great people who started in Boston who came back a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh Goneman is one of them. Josh is great. He's the best. Yeah, I mean, he's been on. Uh, he's, he's the nicest dude in the world. He's one of my best <laughs> friends, and I talk to him, like, every day, and he's just another just bottomless fountain of, you know, great advice and just, like, yeah. living by example and yeah. performing by example yeah. and... Um. Yeah, he's he's the best. Gary Gary Goldman's another person who comes back a lot. And, also, it's such a you know like a, a monster on stage. That guy exactly. is incredible. And so sometimes Gary would come back and just do these like tiny little bar shows mm-hmm. if he was running a set for something. Um, 
And so, yeah, to just be, like, so new in comedy and get to see him up close at this, like, shitty bar show was <laughs> amazing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like, Emma Willman is so great. And Emily Orskowski, who's still in Boston, is amazing. Kelly McFarlane. Uh, Kelly McFarlane is someone... She's still in Boston. She does a lot of touring in New England. Not a lot of people outside of New England know who she is, but she's a fucking destroyer. <laughs> like, I see her at Laugh Boston sometimes, and mm-hmm. she just, like... she, I, like, lose my mind. She's so funny. <laughs> so there were, like, all these great people to look up to, mm-hmm. and I think that's so important, too, is, you know... There are a lot of cities, I think, where people just, like, get to a certain level and then leave. And I think that that really robs the next generation of comics <laughs> from, like, being able to have people to mm-hmm. to look up to. Yeah. I, I mean, my old scene, we got really lucky because the guy who started the open mics that we were going to... He, um, before he start? moved, I started in Greenville, South Carolina. Oh, okay, cool. And um, a guy was there, his name's Nick Shaheen. He moved to Atlanta. But he was doing all these shows and uh, open mics and then bringing in people who were really good. So we got to see Joe, Zim- Joe Zimmerman was in Asheville, oh, North Carolina I love before Joe. he moved here. So we got to know him as just like a, a like the workhorse of that area oh, because he best. was always going out and he would come to our open mics, you know, yeah. but he would. He was also a, a guy we saw headlining and we got yeah. to open for. So it was just like insane. We'd also see him at the open mics. But um, Rory Scovel and um, Josh Gondelman is how I met Josh Gondelman because he came down to do a show that That's Nick so brought him. And uh, all these people. Joe DeRosa came a bunch of times. So a lot of people were really great and we got to see that. Um, I'd, if someone's in a scene like that, though, where it's not constant all the time, seeing someone on that level... Then maybe you do need the move if you need to, yeah. um, if you want to do it as a career. But if you can make noise for yourself in an area, then that's obviously good. So I don't want to like they uh, sure. say that at all. But I I just can't emphasize enough how important it is to see people who are that good because yeah. if you're just going to the open mics all the time, for one, you're seeing other people who are just trying to figure it out. Yeah. So you don't see the right way to do it. Not that people are doing it bad per yeah. se, but they're not Gary Goldman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like seeing when yeah. whenever I go to Comedy Cellar, he's off, he's one of the people I see all the time yeah, here. He's so great. Then you you experience something else, and when you go to the open mics, the other thing that I feel is uh, kind of a detriment, and I see it happening here sometimes, is that people are just trying to work that room. Oh sure, I mean yeah, you have a lot of like friends mics where it's like. <laughs> You know, we all know people who crush at an open mic, uh, like the the same one, and it's it's because everyone knows them and everyone has kind of a primer on who they are, and that's what makes it mm-hmm. what makes it so funny. Um, but yeah, I I think especially what was cool about Boston is that you can you can absolutely get on stage every single night at mm-hmm. least at least once or twice a night if you want. Yeah. Which, you know, for, you know, a city that's, like, Boston and D.C. are the same size uh, Mm -hmm. of cities, and, like, the scene in Boston, I think, is, like, proportionally pretty huge. Um, Yeah. There's, like, a lot of comics there, and there's a lot of shows and a lot of mics, and it's, you know, it's just, it was a good place to, like, cut it's it is it's a great place to come up and mm-hmm. and be free to fail yeah um which boy did i <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing in comedy you have to fail a lot in yeah. order to really get ahead which yeah. is the weirdest thing it's like this, this my dad keeps talking about businesses that fail upwards like mm-hmm. they they start putting out bad product but they keep getting more and more successful somehow and that's kind of how comedy is it's because true. you're going up and you're trying jokes and you don't know how they're going to go and you're trying your style and you're trying your stage presence and you don't know how, what you're doing yeah. <laughs> and then you are failing to go oh well i shouldn't do it that way i'll do it a little different yeah i think the um frustrating thing though with like the failing part is not really the frustrating part for me the frustrating part is 
when it doesn't when you can't really get a gauge of the audience and that sort of happens when you're in a room where nobody knows you and it's mm, just comics and sure. not a not a real audience um who's there to like at least try to laugh <laughs> um if you're not funny in front of a, an audience that's just there to laugh then you can go okay that definitely didn't work but it's not necessarily the case when it's just comics in the mm. room who are just like thinking about their set um so what I don't know if you've experienced that at all, but if so, like what sort of mindset do you get in so that you can know like, okay, this did not work and here's why and here's how I can improve it. How how can you get a real gauge of that when nobody's laughing because they're not paying attention, not because it's not good? I think, I actually think that's one of the reasons why it is so important to start in a Another scene, place yeah, in New York. Yeah, a scene that is not in New York. <laughs> I agree. Um... Because I think, you know, Boston didn't ha- really have this, but I have seen this in Chicago. There's a lot of other scenes where, like, audience members will come to open mics. Mm-hmm. Like, pe- audience will come to open mics. Like, my friend Molly Rubin Long started in New Orleans, and she used to host an open mic that would, like, have a big audience every week. Cole's mm-hmm. open mic in Chicago on Wednesday gets a big audience. It's like, we don't, again, we don't have anything like that in Boston, but it's like, we definitely have people who were, you know, willing to listen, mm-hmm. uh, which is such a huge thing. Yeah. And it can just feel like, New York can just feel like so much noise, I think. Yeah. It's so easy to tune tune things out. But, I mean, when I do badly at an open mic, my, even if people are, like, not super paying attention, I, you know, I try to take that with a grain of salt. It's right. just like... You know, people weren't really paying attention, but also my jokes probably weren't outstanding. Yeah, that's uh, I can see that. So I yeah. think it's like, it's just a balanced approach. And usually, and I'm at the point now where like, I write so much that I know if yeah. something is worth telling again yeah. or worth working on. Um, and, and that comes from just reps. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, again, I've been doing, I've only been doing stand for four years, but it's like, I write all the time and I know like there are certain ideas where I'm like, I know this is funny and I know mm-hmm. I can make this work even if it's not working right now. And then there's mm. a lot of other stuff where I'm just like, this was a glorified tweet and I should <laughs> never say it again. <laughs> I'll um, do the glorified <laughs> tweets just to have like, get a little laugh. Yeah. Um, but then I, I did get to a point where I, I knew, well, I don't really need to do this again. Yeah. <laughs> Because this was just like a one-off. It felt like a monologue joke in yeah. that sense. Oh, sure. Like, I'm not going to do this again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it got what I needed to get out of it this time. <laughs> but yeah, it is... Um, that is the tough thing. I, I Speaking of monologue jokes and um, kind of having a sense of things, when I went to see uh, Fallon rehearse his monologue for The Tonight Show, and I may have told this story before in the podcast, but... He, um, everyone's just laughing at everything. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just like the excitement of Jimmy Fallon, which was like so, so juxtaposed to the way, because I also saw Seth Meyers rehearse a monologue. And both were like great experiences. Both of them were just stellar. But going into the Seth Meyers one, they were saying, don't laugh if you don't think it's funny. We just want a good gauge. Like, laugh hard if you think it's funny, but don't if you don't think it's funny. They stress that. That's, and wow, then, that's very honorable. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, and I love I, I love both of them. And there was also sort of like and it's you know they were making it real fun for the yeah. audience. They're like he's gonna come out and like give him a big round of applause. But that that was the the approach at late night um, with tonight show. They just sort of like put us in a group. They were just like okay stand over here. We'll get bring in there in a second. There was like no fanfare with them. Yeah. And then we just they bring us in and then Jimmy's already just sitting at his desk. It was a very casual experience and they never really addressed us on like what we should do it was just sort of they're gonna rehearse things go in there have fun all right see you know it was really that kind of vibe so i felt like everyone just sort of was excited that they were there it was i I would imagine that that's a more typical experience than Mm -hmm. than what seth does probably probably and what i thought was amazing watching him there were a couple jokes where like everyone laughed and i thought how is he really gonna figure this out and there were moments where you'd see him kind of look off to the side at some producer, and he would be like, sort of shrug, 
like yeah <laughs> not a big reaction yeah. from him just sort of like eh, that one's no good it was like yeah. everyone laughed at that but he still was doing that thing of i know this one's not gonna go yeah <laughs> let's not do that i i thought that was it gave me a lot more of a, an appreciation for him but i i think that is what someone has to get to sure is being able to say this is really what it should be i know that and yeah this is going well but let's let's go for the cream of the crop here. well i think all of the all of the late night hosts are a little different even mm-hmm. though monologue is such a sort of prescriptive joke medium mm-hmm. um i was you know i've looked at all of them sort of like intently and individually mm-hmm. and the Tonight Show has its own legacy, so it's a very specific voice. It's a yep. very classic. And also, it's like, um, Jimmy is a very particular personality. They mm-hmm. all are. Um, so, um, I think his is, like, a lot more classic. Seth's monologue is, you know, he sits behind the desk. And yeah. it's, it's, like, weekend update-style jokes, mm-hmm. which I love. I love, too, yeah. I, I mean, I think Seth is always... I love Seth so much. I, I really yeah. like them all. I, I do like them all, but I, I have a, a special place in my heart for Seth. Yeah. But James Corden is really interesting because his monologue, I think, is the most different from everyone just in structure. It's like most, I never want. That's the one I don't want. So I, I hadn't watched it until recently, like really intently, and... Um, especially his monologue. I've seen a lot of his other sketches and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I, I didn't even realize that he he did a monologue every night. <laughs> but his monologue is so interesting because it's like, you know, a typical monologue joke is mm-hmm. just a really tight setup punchline. Mm-hmm. And with, oh, interesting. With James Corden, it's uh, it's like it is a setup and punchline, but there's always like an extra beat afterwards. Oh, I see. What you mean. He okay. stretches a little bit, mm-hmm. and because he. Again, I think that just, like, really meshes with his personality because he's, like, so fun and sort of, like, loose. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of who he is. And the structure of the show is loose. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, we're all just going to sit here. Yeah, and you're not going to see someone like Conan do that um, Mm -hmm. because he's, you know... Conan's more a of tactician. the tactician. Yeah, <laughs> so, and which he's, is, and which he's is, a, I love. Conan. Oh right. Oh he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Conan's, Conan's my hero. Yeah, I love Conan. He his monologue very much is uh, like just straightforward jokes, and then he does his silliness, mm-hmm. and uh, it's almost like I don't know. It's you could just tell the he's got a writer's <laughs> brain. Oh sure, and not a stand-up sort of approach yeah i mean i would i would say the same thing about seth probably yeah yeah but he he because he did the weekend update i think Mm. he's has a more of an in yeah but um i'm really interested in how colbert does his monologues because he's sort of loosey-goosey too and he comes from a different a completely different place almost wasn't he an improviser he was an improviser for a long time and and all of them did improv, yeah. but he was more... He and Seth were the most known, probably, in the improv. From, from like... I shouldn't say in the improv world, but I just mean... When they really started getting a lot of attention, it was, like, in improv. Yeah. <laughs> before they started doing other stuff. Um, and whereas Fallon has famously said he didn't finish at Groundlings. You yeah. know, and, like, Conan said he hated doing improv. He didn't think he was good at it. And also... Uh, Jamie did stand up, but it was mostly impressions. Impressions, yeah, uh, exactly. But I think Seth Meyers is so particularly primed for for late night, just because he was the head writer of yeah. SNL, and that's why I always say that like I and I love Colbert, but I always and she would have never done it, but I always think that like the perfect replacement for Letterman would have been Tina Fey. Yeah, I uh, you know. <laughs> I knew it wasn't going to happen. I, you know, I figured I, she was, would be on someone's list. It was a fever dream. She but was never going to because yeah. it'd be going up against Jimmy and Lauren. Not and even like, that. I like... just think that like it's a punishing job. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. She had like two young daughters. True. Yeah. And and also just like probably didn't want to do like mm-hmm. just they maybe didn't, didn't even ask her. Like, oh, I'm I, sure they didn't ask her. Yeah. But, they um... they kept it in house, <laughs> and I think they asked uh, John Stewart. I know they asked. Neil Patrick Harris. Oh my God. <sighs> well, maybe one day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a woman I've, on one of the I've never heard. Networks. Yeah, I've never heard 
anyone else they had. They may have asked someone else. At least they asked I, the gay man. Yeah, you know, I don't, <laughs> I, don't th- that? I don't think that they, oh, I assure you that they will ask every kind of man before they, <laughs> they ask a woman to be the host of a, a major Ford late night show. I was wanting when um, Conan was announced as Tonight Show, I said, well, Tina just signed a deal with NBC. Maybe she'll do late night. Yeah. But then that was when 30 Rock came in. So yeah. I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, they got her in another angle. But Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I don't know. But I I thought it was a big missed opportunity to not have a woman host at least like at least late late show. Yeah, I mean, I think that the networks are the major four networks less so on way less so on cable, obviously because mm-hmm. you have like they Samantha have B there, yeah. and um, you know Netflix. You now mm-hmm. have. Michelle Wolf and Sarah Silverman, mm-hmm. and we had Robin Thede for Robin a little Thede, bit. Yeah, I know she got canceled. But. Um, but I think the major four networks are just like extremely risk averse in a very mm-hmm. specific way, and that sucks. But yeah, I feel like it's almost. But I I do love Colbert and I <laughs> I love all of know, them. Yeah, I like them Colbert I love and and Conan and and Colbert's another hero, another South Carolina guy. So yeah, he's just always that's true. Uh, been up there for me. I and so I've I can't say that they were wrong for getting Fallon or Myers or sure. or, or Colbert, but um, it does just seem like if they were gonna go with someone that we didn't know yeah. <laughs> for Late Late Show, yeah. then they could have gone with a woman. Um, or a person of color, you know, like, sure. cause they're, I mean, Arsenio's the closest we've had I to know. on a major That's network. So crazy. And that was, and that was 25 syndic- years ago. And it was syndication. Yeah. And so in some markets he was on Fox, but he wasn't officially the Fox wow. person. And in some markets he was in CBS, which is why. His and it's sh- so crazy cause his show was like, I, I mean, that was even before my time, but I know that his show was like wildly was popular. So popular. So popular that. Like. Didn't Bill Clinton go on Arsenio? That's, That's and some people point to it as why he won because he went on and he played saxophone, <laughs> yeah. and people were like, "Oh, he's a cool guy, I guess." Yeah. You know, like it really helped him. Um, and also, NBC was feeling the heat from Arsenio because Arsenio was so he was bringing in a lot of young people, mm-hmm. and uh, so it made NBC start thinking about their successor. But then, when uh, Letterman went on CBS, then they it pushed Arsenio's show back to like 2 a.m. And um, I think Fox tried to do something. They're like, there was like Dennis Miller had a show, not on HBO before that. Um, Chevy Chase had a show. Ugh. It was like all these people <laughs> had shows. I don't care if anybody. Oh my gosh, Chevy Chase makes me furious. Oh, he did say he has done a lot of mean things to a lot of people. He also, I've just never thought he was funny. I grew up on him. Like Three Amigos is one of my favorite movies. I mean, but he is not the reason why Three Amigos is good, in my opinion. (laughs) Martin Short is the funniest person alive. I agree. He somehow keeps getting funnier with age. I love him. And I don't know how that's possible. But my parents actually just went to see. Steve Martin and Martin Short's yeah. live show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they loved it. And the the Netflix special they did was yeah. taped in Greenville, South Carolina. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's no, great. I love both of them. But yeah, that's just all those people getting in the early 90s getting talk shows. That's why Arsenio ended up losing yeah. his show because it just killed his ratings. There were a lot of other things too I won't go into, but um, it was just like unfortunate. And that was the closest we've gotten even having a person of color on a major network in a way that totally doesn't count because he wasn't the face of Fox. He wasn't the face of CBS. Like, Letterman was the face of CBS, and Colbert is the face of CBS now. But, like, we've never had that. You all have never had that. Like, when is is it going to change? I know. And I feel like if they were to, like, it's not going to happen anytime soon, but if someone were to get on one of those major networks who was a woman or a person of color, I feel like the way people are so angry right now that I feel like uh, it, it would just make everyone freak out, you know, yeah. and, uh, and and maybe, like, screw the pers- the host over and get someone else, you know? I like, mean, yeah, people, when you're, like, the first or kind of one of the only ones in a mm-hmm. particular demographic, there is just naturally a magnifying glass on you Mm -hmm. it's the same thing it's like 
if you're on a show and you're the only woman or person of color on like a stand-up show, mm-hmm. you are the representative for that demographic. Yeah. Because... And it's too much pressure. It's, I mean, yeah. It's like, but that, I mean, you can point to that as a reason why for a long time, you know, in these scenes where there maybe was only like one woman on a show mm-hmm. in different parts of the country, it's like... If she's not great, people can leave being like, see, women aren't funny. Like, yeah. Because there's exactly one woman on the show. Yeah. And she might not be good. And people don't do that to, to dudes. Because <laughs> there's so Particularly well, white, white dudes. Because there's so many of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, there are enough black comics that I feel like it doesn't happen as much, though, in a weird way. I think there's some circuits where that could happen. But, um,. I, you know, it really doesn't happen. I, I don't think I don't I don't really hear people do that with black men. I think they do it with black women. Yeah, yeah. I I think there again. I think there's a um, there's like a greater tradition of like black male comics who have been at the top echelon mm-hmm. of stand up for so long. For now. so long, like Richard Richard Pryor yeah. was, you know, really one of the first in like yeah. the first class of like huge stand ups. Yeah. And and I mean, uh, people say still say he's he was the best. It was yeah. either him or George Carlin that exactly. people say he was the best. Um uh, before people knew he was a monster, people would throw Bill Cosby <laughs> in there. Oh sure. Yeah, and then and then we had Eddie. You a- know, Eddie. Eddie and Eddie was a was like the Elvis. Yeah. Of comedy because he was, I mean, he's raw did that thing for him. You know, it was unreal the sort of excitement that was surrounding him. And like pretty much all the female comics that I grew up, like stand up comics that mm-hmm. I grew up with, were black women. Like oh, yeah, Wanda Sykes. Wanda Sykes is uh, such I an interesting voice. And saw like everything that she, yeah, <laughs> uh, that she did. But even like, I mean, if you go all the like, technically, like Mom's Mabley was like on the original Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I mean there have been so many, and I mean, yeah, there have been so many black women who uh, have been just like absolute killers in the yeah. scene and like don't always get the recognition that they deserve no and it's interesting like now we're starting to see it mm-hmm. you know like um i mean leslie jones has oh, got yeah. to host some stuff and it was she hosted tiffany, uh, tiffany haddish and i was just about to mention tiffany haddish and she's getting um somewhat the hollywood treatment because she's in everything yeah but she's kind of like not the lead in anything yeah you know and so which i think is interesting because i feel like we've seen people who had a big moment like she had with girl trip and then get to being the lead and stuff yeah which she has not had that you know like um i don't know like i'm i'm glad that it's happening in other ways like for uh for for kevin (laughs) yeah kevin hart has has gotten that uh, that treatment that traditionally white men were getting very easily. Yeah. Um, like John, John Heater, you know, he did one movie. He did oh, the Napoleon yeah. Dynamite. And I, I'm not hating on him. I'm just saying he had Napoleon Dynamite, and then immediately it's, we're going to put you in a Reese Witherspoon romantic comedy. Oh, no. And uh, in a movie with Billy Bob Thornton when you're the co-lead. And then all these things like that. And we're going to put you in a Will Ferrell movie. Like, he was getting all that real quick. And, um... Tiffany Haddish is sort of getting that, but she's not getting the lead opportunity. She's not the co-lead yeah. in enough. I well, think. I mean, when you think about the... Like, Girls Trip was literally, like, last year. Mm-hmm. So she's... I mean, she's so great. And I actually... I watched her special, and it's totally different than a lot of the stand-up that I usually watch. And mm-hmm. I still, like, loved it, and I <laughs> laughed so much. And um, But, yeah, I think it's interesting that, like... Chris Rock really never had, really never had that where he was like, you that's, know. And that's kind of true, yeah. I mean, like, he got the direct. He's another a person things. who I like absolutely grew up like worshiping. I yeah. loved Chris Rock. Me too. So much, and I still will like watch anything that he yeah. puts out. Um, he's about to be on Fargo. That's it. I know. That'll be interesting. I'm so excited about that. But like, he never had, even though he was clearly the top of the stand-up game he never had that like kevin hart no moment of like 
we're going to plug you into as many different creative opportunities as possible. I agree, yeah. And it kind of was going to happen for Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Because I heard that he was looked at for a couple of things that he uh, that well Chappelle show was happening. like so explosive and yeah Jamie like, Foxx is someone who did sort of get, he, he did get that's in true. there um and so that was, was you know we but was, he wasn't like Chris Rock when I it came to stand up I didn't even uh, was he an improviser or was he a, a stand up because he did stand up I saw him do specials but here's a couple of specials, but I'm not sure if he's someone who I first who, saw like, him did stand up after he became famous. Right. Okay. Like, yeah. cause I first saw him do anything on in living color. Yeah. Like that's how we all came to know. My and then dad, he got a show. My dad was like obsessed with in living color. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, Martin Lawrence is someone who, who got the treatment, but in, in very much, uh, the way they did for people in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think Martin Lawrence is probably in that group with like Bernie Mac, who's mm-hmm. like the fucking best. And <laughs> I mean, Cedric, the entertainer is still so absolutely hilarious. Yeah. 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 I love, I love all those guys. Yeah. And, uh, and I, one of the things that I really liked Bernie Mac in, uh, in Ocean's Eleven, um, oh my god! And they did like on the DVD, they did two different uh, commentaries because the cast was so big, they just didn't put them all at once. So they had two different groups of uh, cast members doing the commentary, and in both, I don't think Bernie was in either, but in both of them, uh, like whoever was talking was like, ah, Bernie Mac, so good, yeah, so great on screen, Wasn't such a he present. The- Bosley in Charlie's Angels? Am I making that up? No, he was in the sequel. <laughs> oh, okay. Because it was Bill Murray in the first oh, one, okay. and Bill Murray was like, I didn't enjoy this experience or working with uh, a couple of the people. <laughs> and uh, so he was, I don't even know. Oh, yeah, he like told Lucy Liu she's a bad actress or something like that. Uh, yeah, so, he didn't get along with her. I think his process is Bad? <laughs> um, yeah, Bill Murray... Seems tough. I love him, but he's uh, he doesn't. I met doesn't him, and seem he was like, a, like good, a good hang. I I I don't know because um, I've heard crazy stories of people hanging with him, and they sounded great. And then when I met him, he was exactly what you would want him. To, he's the reason I wanted to do yeah. anything in acting. Like I saw when I was five, <laughs> I was like, "Well, I'm an actor." You know, <laughs> I saw him in Ghostbusters, but he. Um, he was real chill when I met him, but I have also heard that like he was at something and someone just like took a picture of him, and he like threw their cell phone. So like he is, yeah. he's he's cut from a different cloth. Yeah, <laughs> he's a guy who, uh, um, you know, he's gonna get a uh, he's just a different sort of dude. Yeah, and he's cut from a different cloth. I read some like old nineteen seventies. Uh, Rolling Stones articles that had different cast members, and they all were just different kinds of people back then. Yeah. Uh, and so I think he, uh, <laughs> I think he's just super old school and tells it like it is, and is is kind of yeah, that's probably it. in a way gruff, you know. <laughs> like I don't, I don't really know. Not that I'm like defending it. I'm just yeah, saying yeah. like here's why I think I'm not like him, and sure. I think it's because I was born when I was born and. I don't know. Those guys are just different kind of cats. That's <laughs> they, true. They'll throw a cell phone where I would be like, I wish you wouldn't do that. Yeah. But I'm, and I'm only thinking and I'm not even saying yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, we're talking comedy, but we haven't, we, we drifted away from talking about your comedy. Yes. Uh, we can, which is great. Uh, I love this chat. Uh, let's uh, get a little more in on your approach to comedy. Um, I know you have like a self-deprecating thing, <laughs> yes. um, which I don't know if you saw Nanette. I, yes, I did. And so when she was talking about like, I don't want to do self-deprecating anymore, did that resonate with you at all? No. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I. that was actually something that really bothered me. Mm. Uh, and it was, it's... Uh, an opinion of hers that I think is wrong. Mm. <laughs> she says that self-deprecation is humiliation. Mm. And I completely 
disagree with that. Um, I think it can be, but it depends. It's a case by case thing. I, she like was, maybe she, she was, was yeah, doing that she too. Was, she was. She made a lot of sweeping generalizations, not only mm-hmm. about self-deprecation, but about like comedy in general. And you know, she said a lot of things about how like comedy like inflicts trauma on the audience by like building tension and then taking it away over and over again and things like that. And but the, the self-deprecation thing, I felt like personally attacked yeah. by because it's such a big part of not only my standup but just like who I am mm-hmm. as a person. And, you know, I am someone who, like, I have a very, I have a very particular, like, uh, upbringing and adolescence and and things like that. And I I really feel that, like, self-deprecating humor was a way for me to, like, take power over my own narrative. Yeah. And really have a sort of authority in how other people see me um and it also was a way for me to be like this stuff doesn't hurt me anymore Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. i'm okay with this i'm telling you to laugh at this right and i think that that's a really powerful thing and that's a really like cathartic thing about stand-up is taking all of these things about you Mm -hmm. that maybe you know were not cool or were painful and just being like, I'm okay with this. Let's all laugh about it. And that's like such a, an empowering thing. I totally agree. I heard Harry Shearer say, who's done stuff on some sense of people don't know at home, uh, listening to this or, uh, and he also was in this is spinal tap. He's the mm-hmm. bassist in that. And he was saying people get into comedy so they can control the way people laugh at them. Yeah. And I totally agree with that. Yeah. And because I hate when I'm laughed at for something that's when it's out of my control and I feel like it's not a fair representation or I mean, that's, getting that made is, fun of. That is a, a huge reason why a lot of us do this. Mm-hmm. I include myself in that. You know, if you like so many of us, I mean, bullying is like a pretty universal experience, but it's yeah. like so many of us who do this were bullied and, um, you know, had like rough teenage years and shit like that Mm -hmm. and it's i I just think that self-deprecating humor is just you know it it shouldn't be a crutch it shouldn't be your whole thing because then it gets kind of like exhausting and repetitive Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i totally i totally agree with that but i was uh yeah i i disagree with hannah gadsby's point about that and i don't uh you know i've had a lot of discussions about and i Mm. i haven't really heard anyone in in comedy come out and defend that point in particular as having mm. any sort of saliency. I, I don't know. This is, it's one of those topics where I'm like, can we talk about Nanette? <laughs> can we openly have God, any criticism of another it? Hour. <laughs> um, I, Cause I've heard people rave about it, but they're all people, even if they were entertainers were not stand up comics yeah. or you know, comedy writers. They were all like actors or a friend of mine who just enjoys watching comedy. Like they're all raving about it. And my thing was, I hadn't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. And all these people are like, I knew it was a new comedy special, right? Like I knew it was billed that way. And all these people are saying, it's amazing. It's amazing. So I was thinking bigger and blacker. <laughs> you know, I was, this is what I was like, this is going to be a laugh a minute. And it's like, no, not it's, that. It's like maybe no. in the 69 minutes, it's like 10 laughs purposefully. You yeah, know, she's sure. not, you know, she spends the last 20 minutes saying she's quitting comedy. So, I mean, you know. Yeah, and she's not even quitting now, which is, <laughs> it's a whole thing. But it's like, I know stand-up, there are some stand-up comedians who liked it. My friend Kate Willett, who's mm-hmm. an amazing stand-up, mm-hmm. really loved it. And she saw it live and she had nothing but great things to say about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yasser Lester. Oh, wow. I uh, really loved it. Mm-hmm. When I saw that on on Twitter. I know Ian Carmel really liked it too. Like I know, I know there are like great stand ups who I love and respect who, en- who enjoyed. enjoyed it. But I thought it was profound and very thought provoking. I, I, I thought it was like a great piece of art mm-hmm. that was not stand up, and that's fine. Exactly. And it's I like just... very much in the tradition of sort of. It was the funniest TED talk I've ever I know, seen. Yeah, exactly. And it's like there's a lot of. Um, I think UK stand up that's like that mm-hmm. and Australian stand up too, which is like, you know, it's, and there are so many great comedians on both sides of, mm-hmm. of the ocean. Uh, but it's, 
you know, I, uh, one of my good friends, uh, Charlie Pickering is a, uh, an Australian comedian and Mm -hmm. he's like, he hosts, um, Australia's version of the daily show. Oh, cool. Um, and he, when he comes to New York, he, uh, he does shows and like every Australian expat like comes out of the woodwork to see him and he has a very it's I mean it's not like Nanette at all but it's like it's very much about ideas and telling mm-hmm. a story mm-hmm. and having like cohesive material and that is that's more, I think that's more the emphasis than like bigger and blacker a laugh a minute right yeah is, or like even Cosby before sure. we hated him was his his stand-up as he got older got more and more storyteller right where you were just getting built up to a big laugh as opposed Mm -hmm. to try to get a laugh every eight seconds like steve harvey you know like there's (laughs) there's just like different approaches yeah and i and i respect that um i i have a yeah i mean i think it's i i I have a lot of again we could be here forever about (laughs) nanette but it's uh it's fine. I, I think know. you know. It's... I I respect. I respect it. She I respect just, she her. Kept, she kept saying how funny she was throughout the special, <laughs> and then had so few jokes. And I don't. I had a problem with that, and I had a problem <laughs> with the the people saying. And this isn't people even saying her that, fault, that, that, that it's the future of comedy or and all change stand up comedy forever, that's, or that it's the only way you should do comedy. Yeah. And I'm, like I, I hate that narrative in comedy right I now mean, of like this is what comedy should be. Comedy can be whatever someone wants. But, yeah, There's exactly. so many approaches. But it's like those are the people who are writing those clickbait <laughs> reviews. Essentially, I, I think that they. I mean, a lot of them admittedly, the people who write those reviews admittedly do not watch much stand-up. So that's, it's like the people who are like... I don't know how much they admit it, but... No, I've, I've literally, like, I've read, you know, even em- Emily Nussbaum did an interview with Hannah Gadsby and um, on the New Yorker radio hour, and, you know, she, it was clear from what she said that she doesn't watch a ton of stand-up anyways, and she mm-hmm. loved, and mm-hmm. it's in ev- within everyone's right to love Nanette, and it's yeah. whatever. Oh, it's gosh, like, yeah. I certainly don't think But it's like, there's so much should... great stand-up out there, and I think that stand-up is such a disrespected art form to begin with, mm-hmm. and it's like, th- I can't remember who said this. Oh, Kath Barbadaro said that she feels like the only way that people get critical acclaim for a stand-up mm-hmm. special is when they take all of the jokes out of it. Uh-huh. And it's like, you know, there have been similar... Spe- like, Hassan Minaj's special was kind of like that. Uh, Neil Brennan's Three Mics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I... It's it's very it's a lot, but I I just think that like people don't respect stand up mm-hmm. to begin with. So mm-hmm. anytime they see something that's not stand up, they're like, oh my god, I love this. Yeah. And, and I, I don't. That's frustrating. I, yeah, and that's that's what I'm picking up on, and and what you're saying is that it's frustrating that people are inherently so disrespectful, but then also overlooking so many things. Yeah. And I and that's what I get frustrated by is that people are overlooking so many things, including the fact that people are different. Yeah. And that there are people who are gonna like one style, and it's nothing against the merit of that style or the people who do that style or the special that's real popular within that style it's just whatever is your cup of tea Mm -hmm. you know i mean conan o'brien has said uh that for him and i'm paraphrasing so you know i hope no one takes this the wrong way but he was saying for him he doesn't want to use comedy to make a point he said this years ago, and yeah. somebody did take that out of context to say, oh, he's firing shots at Daily Show and Colbert Report, and he wasn't. He was just saying, that's just not my approach. I don't I, I don't do political comedy I or whatever. I completely agree, and a lot of times, I think when certain people know me from Twitter, um, I've had this happen a few times where people who follow me on Twitter come to see me do stand-up, and mm-hmm. they are like, I really expected you to talk about politics and you oh, didn't at all. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I, I would, you know, I would like people to laugh. Uh, <laughs> like I, I don't talk about politics in my act because I usually think it's bad. Depressing. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, people are so desperate to laugh right now that I mm-hmm. think it's like 
a disservice to the audience to make them think more about how shitty the world is. Yeah. It's like, we don't need more of that right now. And so much of politics is not funny right now. Right. Oh, I don't know how you could really... It's beyond parody because it's already the most hyperbolic version of itself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a very good point. Because it really is like the joke that people would have made five years ago is like what this actually is. Uh, the, all the fears that we had are actually what's coming to pass here. And it's hard to be funny about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's just tough. And there are other things that are funny that we can talk about. Right. And I, when I do talk about stuff, it's kind of like how people respond to it. You know, yeah. it's like, so it's not even so much the politics of it itself. It's the human behavior in it. Yeah. Which is kind of a traditional aspect of comedy right. to talk about human behavior. But I'm just, I'm never one to say... Comedy should just be this, because I think we need to be more well-versed than that. You know, some days I need just a big old laugh, and some days I want to have, like, something a little more thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Like, that's fine. Like, that's it's the that's why I never understood the, like, fight that people are trying to make between Colbert and Fallon. Like, they can coexist. Like, it doesn't have to um, be... Yeah, of course. Um, and plus, people are, like, ridiculous because they say it's because Fallon had... Trump on it's like Colbert had Trump on yeah. too. Yeah, um, <laughs> like you're a hypocrite and a weirdo, and you probably not watch neither show. Exactly. But um, you know, like the thing that was so great about Colbert was, uh, particularly Colbert reports, his like ability to lampoon politics. Well, and that people was. Want I mean, that. yeah, people people want that for sure. But it was. I always thought that the Colbert Report was uh, was better than the Daily Show for this reason because it's one it's kind of one degree removed because yeah. of Stephen Colbert the character. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Because he's you know that he's in character and there's this sort of like suspension of of disbelief about that mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it is so ridiculous. Whereas like you know John Stewart was telling it like it is <laughs> and you know he was he was funny but it was like it was never. It never got to the level that that Colbert had, in, in my opinion, mm-hmm. just because Colbert had so much more freedom within the yeah. character. I um, love both, but I did prefer Colbert. And um, even once one year when Daily Show won, then even John Stewart accepting the Emmy was like, I really thought it was going to be Colbert yeah. this year because <laughs> they were really killing it with their Iraq stuff, you know, yeah. whatever it was. And I agreed. Um, I think... Uh, I just think things need to like coexist. Like sometimes I want that, and sometimes I want a break from that. You know, yeah. like that's what's good about having Fallon on the other channel. Like going Fallon to Seth Meyers. Like you yeah. get both if you just watch two hours. You know, like it's that's what I need. You yeah. know, that's what I want. Um, and I, I don't really like uh, what's what I see happening in comedy on Twitter specifically it's mostly going on twitter and on blogs which is this sort of it's it's really like the way people are in washington with the way they spin things to I mean, try to win for their tribe yeah twitter is like uniquely horrible and mm-hmm. i'm on it all the time and i'm <laughs> yeah. very addicted to it but it's it's just it's not helping the discourse no. in any subject and Mm-mm. so I, you know periodically i'll just take i'll try to take a break from it but it, oh yeah digital cleanses are yeah, good to take but i mean yeah I, I don't talk about taking things with a grain of salt anything that's happening on twitter you just have to be like this is not real life and <laughs> go take a shower <laughs> agreed <laughs> um let's let's uh in the podcast with uh talking about something that we could create figuring out something we could create and one thing i thought of and you can come up with a a better idea i'm sure and if you do mention it um but i'm trying to figure out one thing i'm trying to figure out is that sort of process of writing a good solid joke especially if you're going to these open mics where you can't really get a good gauge from the audience Mm -hmm. on it um obviously sometimes just when you Right, you you speak your ideas out loud, then you go, oh, I see how like this doesn't work. But um, what is a a joke writing process that you maybe use? Hmm. I know a lot of people like to write on stage and, no. Just, no, and no, riff, no. but I I mean, if I'm riffing at all, it's not to write a joke. It's mm-hmm. just 
to kind of comment on something that's happening in the room or mm. something like that. But I don't write on stage. Uh, a lot of my jokes now, because I tweet so much, a lot of them do start out as tweets, mm-hmm. just like the idea. Um, and then I'll sort of like flesh it out a little bit more that way. But for a few of them that haven't, like sometimes I'll write jokes about things that I don't really want to tweet about uh like if i get like i got ghosted by a dude and i didn't really want to tweet about it in case he saw oh yeah (laughs) so um i honestly i write at open mics Mm -hmm. a lot uh and you know i have a lot of friends who are really sort of diligent about writing Mm -hmm. at home um my friend jp mcdade who's so fucking funny is (laughs) great about that he Mm -hmm. i know that he's like a workhorse and writes everywhere all the time but um usually it's like i don't have like a sit down thing and Mm -hmm. i usually i'm just like oh that's sort of funny i should write that down and then i'll go to an open mic and being in the room with everyone about to go up makes me like right yeah fires Um, your creativity yeah so I don't have a good process. Um, I think that's what we've <laughs> well, come to. What is... goes through your mind when you have like a premise, um, and then you want to make it funny, and you want to add that the, the joke side <laughs> to it, the funny side to it? Well, what is what goes through your mind? So it's usually like the premise is already funny to me. Okay. That's, I think that's like a huge thing. That's another reason why I don't have any jokes about politics because mm. it's not uh, funny the premise yeah the premise is not funny uh <laughs> so give me an example of like a funny premise because sometimes i i can see humor in the situation but the premise isn't necessarily funny on its own okay um so the joke that i've been opening with for a while now is about my dad and how he's like really smart but mm-hmm. he has a really thick Boston accent and those two things like really cancel each other out. And that was like the juxtaposition of those two Mm -hmm. kind of opposing things was funny to me inherently because Mm -hmm. I have heard him say so many very, he like has a master's degree and I've heard him say so many like very intelligent things just sounding like a garbage collector Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and just like a trash man. And he it's I don't know he's like he's a very he's like a working class guy who happens to be very like kind of very <laughs> advanced ideas I, what I'm saying sounds incredibly classist <laughs> but just he is you know he has this very working class accent I should say mm-hmm. and but is very smart it's like I mean it's the reason why Goodwill Hunting exists <laughs> yeah. because like people oh yeah people are just like this guy with this accent can think thoughts what (laughs) and so yeah that's i mean i just kind of fleshed it out from there but it's it's something like that it's like you know like juxtaposing two maybe discordant um ideas Mm -hmm. and or you know a typical setup punchline is just like a twist Mm -hmm. that's so you're immediately going at it from a like just what's funny yeah. And what's the funny way? That's something that I don't know if you watch comedians in cars getting coffee, but in the episode with Dana Carvey, Dana Carvey was saying like, "I'm trying to work on this joke," and he tells it, and and Jerry Seinfeld says, "It's too long of a beginning. Like the the setup is too long. Like what's what's the funniest way to get in?" Mm. And that and then he said, "Here's just what I have." So he just real succinctly says like, "Here's just the funniest way to." just bring up that topic yeah. and, I, and I think that's what you're naturally doing I am a very short joke writer mm-hmm. I, my jokes are short and pretty tight I think mm-hmm. like I mean they're just succinct mm-hmm. like I when I have like a 30 minute set mm-hmm. I'm doing 20 jokes so it's like <laughs> I'm not really exploring the space with (laughs) my jokes and stuff like that you know um so that's i mean everybody's different and yeah yeah but you you attack things from a from a funny point of view and i think that's you're in i'm i 
not succinct like you and I. No, I think I'm. I just, wish I was. I. But <laughs> I'm just not smart enough to like start with an idea. Or maybe you're funny. just smarter than everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> well, there it is. <laughs> Thanks so much for being Thank on. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, we enjoyed having a conversation. I hope you all enjoyed listening to that conversation. If you want to know more about Julia Clare, you can go to her website, julia-clare.com. You can also follow her on Twitter at OJuliaTweets and on Instagram at JuliaClareGrams. So a couple of places to see what she's up to. Definitely go see her perform if you get the chance in the city. Oh, and here's something related to me. I'm on a couple of friends' podcasts called Church Stories coming up sometime soon. I don't have a date on that yet, but once I do, I'll let you know, and I'll share it with you all on Twitter and Facebook, which you can follow us at There It Is Pod, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Jason Far Jokes and on Instagram at Jason Far Picks. So uh, be on the lookout for that. That was really cool. Well, fun episode next week. I hope you're back for it. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.